It's happening, readers. We have heard that you want paperbacks from our tailored book recommendation service called TBR. And I'm delighted to let you know that we're going to be in sync with your request. That's right. We're bringing paperbacks. Whether you hate carrying around bulky hardcovers, you're on a budget, you want a wider range of recommendations, or all of the above, now you can get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. Get all the details at mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. We're bringing paperbacks. <laughs> You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 249, and today we are talking about books being released on March 3rd, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Kelly Jensen, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello! Hi! We are quite a pair today. We are. <laughs> I uh, I was out until 10 o'clock last night, which is really late for me. It made me giggle when you said it, like, earlier. <laughs> When we were talking, uh, you were like, I was out so late. And you were like, 10 o'clock. I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> we're old. <laughs> Listen, I get up at 4.30. So, like, 10 o'clock is real late. I consider it, like, a good night if I make it till 8.30 before I go to bed. So, it was it was late. Um, how about you? What's up with you? I have a huge headache. Oh, fun. Um, so, we're going we're gonna to make it a quick one today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I get them every once in a while. I'm just going to put this out there for people who get migraines. Um, I used to get migraines all the time. This is in no way endorsed or doctor approved, but I used to get migraines all the time. And then one day, I went to a new dentist, and he was like, your wisdom teeth are really impacted. Do you get terrible mm. headaches? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> mm. And so, I had my wisdom teeth out, and I hardly ever get headaches anymore. So, if you have migraines all the time, you might want to ask your dentist. Or also, get your hormones checked, because sometimes that's it, too. Like, Oh. Hormone issues in my family are the the headache culprit. Well, I am very fortunate not to get them all the time anymore. So that is lucky. That's like the one thing that I get, and it's it's one of those things that it's like it's not life impacting, but just annoying enough. Yeah. To you know, like some days are you're just like I don't want to function today. And yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that was an aside. <laughs> my niece and nephew are coming over today, so it might be like a you know, preemptive headache because they're going to touch all my stuff and chase the cats and, you know, (laughs) so I'm already like, (laughs) let's talk about things that aren't about headaches, namely books. Yes. Before we do that, we're going to hear from a sponsor. It's happening, readers. We have heard that you want paperbacks from our tailored book recommendation service called TBR. And I am delighted to let you know that we're going to be in sync with your request. That's right. We're bringing paperbacks. Whether you hate carrying around bulky hardcovers, you're on a budget, you want a wider range of recommendations, or all of the above, now you can get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. Get all the details at mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. We're bringing paperbacks. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know that one of today's picks is also a sponsor of the show. We don't normally discuss sponsor books, but this happened by accident because of a scheduling mix-up, so we just wanted to point it out. Okay, I believe I talked about this book on the preview show. I love this book. 
My first pick is a novel. It is called We Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Berry. And it is so good. Girls field hockey team in 1980s New England. And it's fantastic. It's, I mean, just like the premise of this was enough to be like, I would just buy this book and just read the the blurb on the back. Because it's about a field hockey team that decides to turn to their roots, uh, which is witchcraft, uh, to win games. And it's amazing. So it's set in 1989 in Danvers, Massachusetts. And if you're not familiar with the Salem Witch Trials or Danvers, Massachusetts or history, uh, Danvers was originally called Salem Village. It was part of the Salem Witch Trials and they later changed their name. It's 1989, and the Danvers High School field hockey team is not very good. Uh, they have been losing lots and lots and lots of games. And this one summer, they are spending a week at field hockey camp at UNH, which I have to say because it's just down the street from here, which is really cool. Um, and one of them hits upon the idea of dark arts to help them win. Uh, you know, they've grown up hearing the stories about you know, the Salem witches, which, as we all know, is not true, but, you know, they, they're influenced by that. And one of them brings out a book with Emilio Estevez on the cover, because remember, this is 1989, and, you know, decides she's going to sign her name, you know, to, to the devil, like she's going to pledge to the devil uh, in order to win games. And manages to convince, eventually, the other 10 members of the team uh, to also sign their names in this book. Uh, and, and it, and it's like exciting for them because they're teens and they don't really know like what this means. And, you know, they're doing something as a team and it gives them this little boost. They start wearing these armbands that they can't take off because, you know, if you're into sports, you know how superstitious people are about sports and they start winning. Like doing this helps them win somehow. Um, obviously because they just think that they can. But as superstitions go, like, they become more and more stressed out about winning and, you know, things have to stay the same because, as I said, you know, people are very superstitious about sports and it sort of continues that way and gets a bit out of control. And, it, you know, it's a bit like Heather's. It's a bit the craft. It's a bit like Megan Abbott. Uh, it is very dark. Um, but the best part of this book are the characters themselves. We get to know each each one of them, their hopes and dreams, their quirks, their style, and they feel so real. Um, and, and there's one character that I love um, who has the, you know, 80s bangs, like the very, very, very high bangs that sort of like sort of lean back because they're so high and they call it the claw. Like it has like its own like personality. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's about like the uncertainty and newfound strength that you know, these girls have, uh, you know, just as teen women. And, you know, it's so often teenagers are written off. It's like, you know, it's hormonal and they're, you know, puberty and they're having all these changes and all this stuff. And people are so quick to dismiss teens and their feelings. But, you know, I don't think enough emphasis is ever put on the fact that the things that happen to you as a child and as a teenager form who you are and the decisions and the behaviors that you exhibit as an adult. And so, like, this really takes it very seriously, even though it's supposed to be like, you know, witchcraft and, you know, fun. And because there is lots of pop culture references, uh, which I particularly enjoyed because it sounds very strange to say this out loud uh, here in uh, 2020. But uh, I was entering high school in 1989. So <laughs> it's like a, it's a strange time. So I remember all of this and and she just does an amazing job like describing that time period and, you know, the things that go on in school, because it's not, you know, not that schools are enlightened now, but 
th- it, it was even worse back then, you know, um, th- with discussions of racism and sexuality and, you know, the misogyny and, and all the stuff that girls experience in school. And the Cornberry just treats them like human beings. And I, I really enjoyed that part. And also, like, the story itself. It's original and fun. It is We Ride Upon Sticks by Cornberry. My first pick is The Story of More, How We Got to Climate Change, and Where to Go From Here by Hope Jaron. It's her next book after Lab Girl. And um, I'll just start by giving some numbers. One-sixth of the global population uses one-third of the world's energy and half the world's electricity. The same one-sixth of the global population is responsible for a third of the world's carbon dioxide emissions, a third of the world's meat consumption, and a third of the world's sugar consumption. And it's these statistics and data like this that Jaren breaks down for readers in a book that's not necessarily meant to terrify readers about the overwhelming scope of global warming and climate change, but instead to instill hope that... um, we can make big differences by making small changes. Having hope requires courage is sort of the big message throughout the book. And it was inspired by the classes that Jaren teaches at uh, her university. The book breaks down really huge topics such as meat consumption, carbon dioxide emissions, energy creation and consumption, the growth in plastic use and more, and looks at how just over the course of her own life, the richest countries in the world have consumed more than their fair share and how that um, consumption has impacted the um, world as a whole, particularly less wealthy countries. Uh, so I've read like a million climate change books. I don't I don't know why this is such a fascinating topic to me. Um, maybe because there's so many different ways the topic can be approached um, that I like like looking at it through as many lenses as possible. But um, this one is different in that it's really data-driven and super accessible for the average reader. It doesn't feel overwhelming. Um, and Jaren is really reassuring that doing even the tiniest things add up over the long haul. So for example... If you can go one night a week without meeting, eating meat, that would make a huge difference. If you can swap taking a flight for taking the train, that can make a difference. And then maybe things like purchasing low-energy appliances, washing clothes with cold water, purchasing less stuff, um, including food that you end up throwing out um, because you don't eat it. And her, her takeaway is that by using less, we allow more resources to be better distributed among the entire population of the planet instead of centralized um, by just a sixth of global population. That then reduces creation of more, which then can impact the vitality of the globe overall. I found this really encouraging and accessible, and Jaren writes really conversationally. And it, I think for readers who are looking for sort of that first step in like how they can better be citizens of the globe and to be conscious of their impact when it comes to consumption and ultimately climate change, um, this should be a first step, I think. It's, it's short, um, and it makes it really feel doable as opposed to overwhelming and complicated. Um, and she really just wants people to start small. She, she gives this example of the first thing she loves to do in her classroom. And I think that this is such a cool activity for anybody who is, thinking about climate change and the impact of their own life in the greater scheme of things. So what she does is she has students dump open their uh, briefcases or purse backpacks and to count up 
all of the items that are made from plastic. And then she asks, you know, what can you swap out for something that's not plastic uh, when it runs the course of its life? So she's not saying throw out everything plastic that you've got now, but rather when you're done using it, can you swap out whatever that item was for something that's a little bit more sustainable? And those small shifts really do add up. The book doesn't overlook the realities of living in a capitalist society. And I think that that um, is important here too, because I think too often the conversation about how we can better uh, reduce our our impact is about us. And and certainly like the things we do on the individual level are important um, and they do make a difference. But also Jaren understands that there are bigger, bigger uh, fish playing into the circus. I don't know why fish are playing into the circus, but like that, that came to mind here. But yeah, this is this is a great read and it feels like a natural fit for Jaren's next book. And that is The Story of More, How We Got to Climate Change and Where to Go from Here by Hope Jaren. I feel like so many people love Lab Girl and I just no one seems to have realized that she has a new book coming. You know, I've been, and people keep going, whoa, and they find out. Um, So, so many people are going to be excited. Yeah, it was great. It was great. My next pick is a debut novel uh, coming out from Counterpoint. It is called This Town Sleeps by Dennis E. Staples. I knew like in the first few pages that this book was going to break my heart, but it also strangely didn't, and I found it very um, beautiful and inspirational at the same time. So that said, let me tell you about it. It is. It takes place on an Ojibwe reservation, in Minnesota, it is about a young man named Marion. He is in his early 20s, and he works as an accountant for a dentist. Um, he is named Marion. He's had a hard time growing up being named Marion because it is usually a woman's name. So, of course, he gets teased about that a lot. Um, he is also gay, which is very hard for him growing up gay in a small community. Um, he's never really come out to his peers, but also he never really hid the fact that he was gay. Um, and it's it takes place in present day. And so he uh, uses technology to meet other men uh, and engages in several hookups, uh, like from Tinder in the middle of the night in parked cars. He's trying to get over a man that he followed to this community. Um, he did move away for a while to the big city, uh, to Minneapolis, but he moved back for a gentleman and it didn't work out. And so he's still trying to get over that. Uh, and one night uh, in using the app, he meets a man in a, in a dark car and uh, quickly discovers that it is a former classmate of his named Shannon, who was not out in school, is not out now, um, was like the the star of you know sports and king of the prom and all that, and he is first at first like shocked to meet Marion in this car and doesn't want anything to do with him because he's worried that people will find out that you know he's meeting men in parked cars and that he's gay. Um, you know he he doesn't let anyone know that he do, he does manly stuff. You know he says he does grounds work and he doesn't want it to get out. But eventually, like they have this connection and they start seeing each other more and more, and you know Marion starts to fall for him. At the same time, Marion adopts a little dog. I'll say right there, like, no, nothing happens to any dogs in this story. Um, and he is walking the dog one day, and he's walking around this old playground that is about to be renovated. Uh, and when Marion was a child, there was this rumor that this elderly dog crawled under the merry-go-round and died. And now the ghost of the dog is under the merry-go-round, and so none of the kids will ever play on it. Uh, and so one night, you know, Marion's walking his new dog, and he's just kind of 
sort of playing with the equipment and he spins this merry-go-round and it brings to life the ghost of the dog under the merry-go-round. And he starts seeing this dog everywhere. And eventually the dog leads him to the grave of a young man who was murdered when Marion was little. He was a man named Caden. He was 17. Uh, He was star of the high school basketball team. And he was like I said, murdered. Uh, at the time of his death, his girlfriend was pregnant, uh, so she gave birth. He never knew his child. Um, and he's trying to figure out, like, why this dog ghost led him to Caden's grave and also still struggling with his feelings for Shannon, who only wants to meet him in secret. And in between these chapters, we get to hear from uh, Marion's mother, who is pretty much stoned all day, every day. Uh, that's how she deals with things. Uh, She used to babysit Caden when she was younger uh, in preparation for having her own child. She was also, we also hear about like the friendships of her and Caden's mother and another woman that was a friend of theirs and her child who we hear a bit about who is very unhappy and has some behavioral issues. And it's a book about, you know, secrets, family secrets. Um, You know, the the family feels like they're haunted. There's a story of a cursed jawbone that uh, one of their grandmother's murdered her first husband and took his jawbone uh, and it's buried somewhere on the property and they're all cursed because of it. Um, And it's, you know, but it's also like, you know, about secrets about, you know, sexuality and it's a story about, you know, um, cultures and prejudice, family and the trappings of a small town. Um, You know, trigger warnings, there is mentions of uh, sexual violence, uh, including uh, some implied sexual violence against a child as well as murder, racism, and homophobia. And despite saying all those very terrible things, um, like I said, I started to read it. I was like, this book is going to break my heart. And it did. But also, I found it really beautiful. And it didn't end the way I thought it was going to, which which I enjoyed. And it's it's a wonderful, wonderful first novel. So it is called This Town Sleeps by Dennis E. Staples. My next book is Be Not Far From Me by Minnie McGinnis. The title of this book is inspired by Psalm 22, which is the verse prior to the one everybody seems to know. And um, that is a really apt metaphor for what this book is, as well as who Ashley, the main character of the story, is too. Ashley has a really hard and sharp edge to her. She's a little rough, a little tumble. And she grew up with her father after her mom abandoned the family. They live in a, uh, a trailer with very little money in a small town in Tennessee where everybody knows everyone else. And tonight, when the story starts, Ashley is joined by her friends Meredith and Kavita for a party deep in the Smokies where everyone will get drunk and do stupid things. Uh, that's what you do when you're a small towner and you live um, on the edge of the wilderness. Except as the party progresses and Ashley gets up needing to pee, she finds that her boyfriend Duke is having sex with someone who isn't her. And so being drunk, her brain tells her that the best course of action here is to run. So she does. And that's when things go from bad to worse. Um, Ashley wakes up and she's super lost in the woods. She has this really mangled foot, and she has no idea where she's ended up. Um, she's on her own now to find her way out of the woods and somehow find her way back home. Um, this is told over the course of, like, two weeks, and not only do we get to know Ashley's current circumstances when she's lost in the woods, but we get to know about her grit and determination. And uh turns out that what can be off-putting in school when it comes to Ashley's personality can be extremely useful in the woods. She's not afraid to make do with the things she finds, including a shelter um, that 
used to be a meth lab, uh, eating possum when there's nothing else to eat and using flint to remove parts of her body that become so infected um, that she doesn't want that to spread to other parts of her body. Um, but the longer Ashley is gone and the more she attempts to feebly travel through the woods to find her way out, she shares how and why it is she ended up acquiring these survival skills. Ashley's experiences with religion play a really fascinating role in this story, as does this relationship she fostered with a slightly older boy named Davy Beat. And he was uh, a guy who also really liked the outdoors and respected it. And like Ashley, he, many years before, had found himself alone in the woods, but he never returned home and the community had been mourning his loss for years and years. Um, nobody had ever been found and Ashley keeps thinking about him and the lessons that she learned from from him and he sort of becomes this guiding light for her so that she continues to fight for her own survival and turns out Davy might not be very far away at all um this book was pitched to me as hatchet meets wild and yes to both except uh, like I will forever argue it's a million times more compelling than hatchet ever was you actually see the actions required to survive in such a place but not in a like mundane or drawn out way this is actually a pretty short book reads really, really quickly, and you get to know Ashley very well, even though the story itself is tight and fast-paced. Uh, the tactics she used can be pretty raw and unflinching, so readers who don't want to read about parts of the body becoming uh, mangled should take some caution going in. It's a pretty insular read, too, insofar that we don't get to know many characters except for Ashley and Davy, um, as well as Ashley's father, but through the flashbacks, we get to know them really, really well, um, and that's part of what makes it so compelling. Uh, this is a book for readers who like really tough protagonists, survival stories, and wilderness adventure books that go really, really wrong. And also then people who need a warning not to go party in the woods, even though it sounds like a good idea. And that is Be Not Far From Me by Mindy McGinnis. I would like to have drinks with Mindy McGinnis, even though she terrifies me. Her books are so intense. Yeah. She's really cool, though. And, like, one a year now, it seems like. So it's pretty exciting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My next pick is Deacon King Kong by James McBride. I love, love, love James McBride. This is his first novel. Like, his first uh, novel in a very long time. Not his first book. He had a story collection and his book about James Brown. But this is his first novel since the National Book Award winning The Good Lord Bird, which is so fantastic. And it's going to be a TV show very soon, which excites me. And he is really great at writing about very serious situations and infusing them with humor. You get the feeling when you read his stuff that he can't help but be funny, even when he's talking about very serious stuff. But not like in an irreverent way and not in a disrespectful way, but the man is just very funny. Um, and this one takes place in 1969 in New York City. Uh, we find out that uh, an old church deacon named Sportcoat, who has a bit of a drinking problem, uh, shoots a drug dealer and kills him in front of a bunch of people. This is a very character-centric novel. And in the, that action, we learn about the victim himself, who was this kid from the neighborhood who had promise and, you know, what happened? Now he's dealing drugs. I, uh, you learn about the residents who witnessed the shooting, as well as hearing from the neighbors and the different versions of the events that they have and the different, you know, takes that they have on the neighborhood. Um, we hear from the cops who respond to the shooting, the members of Deacon's Church 
and also from some members of the mob. Uh, and like we ride upon sticks, which I talked about at the beginning of the show, he breathes like such life into his characters. You feel like you know them. Like, and we learn, you know, how did they get to this point? How do they feel about things? Like, I feel like there are people that I actually know when I get to the end of the book. Um, and it examines, like, the, the different impacts things have had on this neighborhood. Um, the population growth and the political climate, racism, classism, the neighborhood hierarchy. And like I said, also, it's very quirky and funny. Um, some of the characters, they, well, first they call, um, Sport coat, which if that's not a strange enough name, they call him Deacon King Kong, and he has a friend named Hut Sausage. Uh, there's also a sister Bum Bum. I mean, it's just it's very wacky, but it's so good. It's so good. Um, I just I love his writing. I would recommend reading everything that he wrote. Um, and you know, this is as good a place to start as any because everything is wonderful. It is Deacon King Kong by James McBride, and now we are going to hear from another sponsor. Okay, what do you have next? My next pick is Spirit Run, a 6,000-mile marathon through North America's stolen land by Noe Alvarez. So Noe grew up in Yakima, Washington, alongside his mother who worked in an apple packing plant. He is the son of two Mexican immigrants, and he knew that he was really lucky to have received a scholarship to attend college. But a year into the program, he had a really hard time fitting in and figuring out what it was he wanted to make of himself as a first-generation Mexican-American. And this is a theme that will continue throughout the book. This is a nonfiction story. Um, and there's no real definitive ending here, but along the way, we get to see Alvarez talk about why the space of indecision, of opportunity, and of longing for connection and a place to fit in is the immigrant story. Um, so at 19, Alvarez discovers this program called the Peace and Dignity Journey, which is a movement by Native American and First Nations people to create cultural connections across the Americas through marathoning. Uh, so he drops out of school and realizes that this is something he needs to do. And so he begins his journey in Canada, where he runs alongside a group of individuals from a whole array of Native and Indigenous backgrounds and experiences. And the journey takes him through all kinds of terrain, through experiences of hunger and thirst and exhaustion, as well as through land that had been stolen by colonizers and turned to profit at the loss of original culture and traditions and pride. Um, throughout the marathon, he not only finds himself being pushed to his physical, mental, and emotional limits, but he faces being kicked out of the race over and over again, which only fuels his determination to fight harder until the moment that he comes to realize that he wants to end, that he wants to stop running, that he is finished with this part of his story. Um, when he finishes his race through Mexico and he lands in Guatemala, he boards this plane and heads back home. And and this is where I think the story is so great, is that he doesn't have any answers. This isn't the story where, like, he has this brilliant insight when he's running, but rather, like, he ran and got so much out of the experience and yet comes back and realizes that, like, he has passion and connection with the land and the people of his land, but not necessarily this brilliant idea of like what to make of himself which i feel is the story we don't get to see often enough and particularly don't get to see often enough through the eyes of immigrants what i really loved is that there's actually very little about the race itself and instead we get 
A lot more of Alvarez's anecdotes about his parents and what it was like growing up at home and about the ways that um, he lived what could have been seen as the classic tale of a Mexican-American immigrant's life. But it's more than that. And um, it's packed with so much heart and soul and this really tremendous sense of desire for figuring out what he wants and also understanding that he uh, is living in land that was stolen and what that means. Uh, so readers who are looking for a really great and uh, powerful immigrant story, and particularly uh, a story of Mexican migrants, will do well with this memoir. Um, it ties seamlessly the story of Native American in history, too, and adds this whole layer of complexity that I think is really necessary for better understanding immigration as a whole. It's really thoughtful and nuanced. And um, I also found the marathon itself that this is a thing that exists um, to be really, really fascinating. And that is Spirit Run, a 6,000 mile marathon through North America's stolen land by Noe Alvarez. All right. I have that on my pile to read. But since you were going to <laughs> to talk about it, I set it aside. But I definitely hope to get to it soon. Um, my last pick today, I will say I loved every single book that I talked about today, but today is the first Tuesday of the month, which means there are more books released than the other days in the month, which means more amazing books, so it was very hard for me to choose. So it would be a good idea to sign up for the New Books newsletter, which you can find a link to in the show notes, because you will get to learn about all kinds of great books today, because there are so many! It was very hard for me to choose. I hate choosing. I've mentioned that before. I don't like making decisions. Don't don't make me make decisions. <laughs> uh, but that said... My last book is also phenomenal. It is called Writers and Lovers by Lily Kang. I love Lily Kang so much, not just because she's from Maine, or she lives here in Maine, I should say, but her novel Father of the Rain is one of my favorite books of all time. Just so good. Uh, she also wrote the book Euphoria, which came out a few years ago. And before I go any further, I want to talk about Eufor Euphoria for one second, because every time I mention this to people, they go, what? No way. If you have a copy of Euphoria, get it out, look at the cover looks like a wacky painting. It's not. That's actually tree bark. Actual rainbow eucalyptus tree bark. Amazing. Anyway, okay, getting back to Writers and Lovers, her new book, which is out now. It takes place in the summer of 1997. It's about a woman named Casey. She's 31. She has just moved to Cambridge. She's renting a room from a friend of her brother's uh, and walking his dog for a break in the rent. She's had a lot of big events in her life that have shaken her recently. Uh, her mother died while on vacation. Her mother went off on this vacation with her friends and did not come home. Uh, she has broken up with her boyfriend. She had this tumultuous love affair and it is all over. And she's been working on her novel for six years now and she hopes to finish it. So she's moved into this room and she's going to buckle down and do it. Um, however, you can't just write and not have a source of income. So she's waitressing at a restaurant and pulling doubles because she's drowning in debt. She's like 70-something thousand dollars in debt from school still, even though she's 31. Uh, she's – because, like, you know, that just never goes away. It's a, it's a thing that follows people forever. Uh, she – her romantic life is kind of a mess. She's into these two guys who are, like, polar opposites. And it's about being a writer. This book is about being a writer, what it means to try and make – 
this work, whether it's your only job or whether it's one of like five jobs that you have, uh, the burnout that you experience as a writer, the jealousy you have for your friends and, and peers that make it. Um, she also suffers from a lot of anxiety about her life. It's this beautiful, intimate examination of a life and the life of a writer. It's also very funny. It's dirty in parts. Uh, you know, it's about how also she experiences sexism and classism and the ways that we complicate our lives versus naturally occurring complications. Um, and like I said, it's, it's very, very funny. And I just, I love the writing. I loved learning instead of like the, you know, Deacon King Kong or we ride upon six. It's like the close examination of one life. And it's really all about her and, and the decisions that she has to make. I just thought it was great. It's writers and lovers by Lily King. My last pick is only mostly devastated by Sophie Gonzalez. And before digging into like the, the heart and soul of the book, I just wanted to note that this is the first YA book outside of my own where a character has polycystic ovarian syndrome and talks openly about it that I've read. I have struggled with this for years and years and so have desired to see it in YA because it's a pretty common set of <sighs> side effects. I don't know how to best describe it because it's not an illness, um, but it's a it's a collection of things that happen to your body um, when you have internal reproductive organs. And uh, while I didn't find the description 100,000% accurate, um, that's probably because I know way more about this than the average person does. That said, it was an incredible thing to see in a YA book. And um, I think given that it's so common that it shows up is going to be huge for so many readers, particularly uh, teen readers. That said, uh, it's not a main character, but it does take up a few pages and is important to that character and important to readers to just see this on the page. So this is a queer riff on Greece, and Ollie and Will had this really whirlwind romance during the summer when Ollie spent time in North Carolina with his family. He is preparing to go back to California for the new school year, and this is when his parents break to him that they're not actually going to go back. They're going to be staying. His aunt, who has cancer, is really struggling, and being in North Carolina would be a way for them to help out with her husband and the kids as she attends appointments and attends to caring for her own health. She will have ups and downs in the story, and it's worth noting here that she will die in the book. Um, that's not really a spoiler because it doesn't impact like the big arc of the story, um, but worth noting to anybody who might be tender about um, death. It's handled really, really well in the story, but just a heads up there. Um, so Ollie immediately finds a friendship with a group of girls at his new school and immediately also learns that despite the fact Will doesn't live in the same town, he does attend the same high school. But for some reason, Will has stopped responding to his text and uh, is really cold whenever he sees Ollie. Like, they'd had this great romance, but suddenly, like, Will acts as though he doesn't know Ollie at all. What happened to their connection? And Ollie really wants to know if they can make it happen again. The thing is, Will is not out at school, and he's not out among his basketball friends, uh, many of whom are super homophobic. And um, he's really worried that coming out will mean disappointing his parents, as well as just being in a position to have to navigate some tricky conversations. And that's why he's keeping Ollie at an arm's distance and why again and again, uh, when the two of them come close, they then uh, fall apart again. 
The thing is, neither Will or Ollie can really resist each other, and it's this magnetism that keeps them working toward this mutual goal of being together, um, of finding the same romance they had that summer, and this is when Will realizes that he has to be honest about who he is as much as it requires Ollie to also let down his preconceived notions of who Will is and what it means to be a good partner in a relationship. Uh, For Ollie, the challenge in the story is really understanding that Being in a relationship isn't 100% about his interests. He has to also participate in the interests and passions of Will and show up for Will. Ollie is really not interested in going to basketball games, but basketball is such a huge part of Will's life. And Ollie has to kind of understand that to be a good partner, like sometimes he has to show up. This is a capital R romance. So Will and Ollie will have their happily ever after. And this is a really cute and sweet book, but more it's also really funny. Um, Ollie has a way with descriptions and words that made me laugh out loud multiple times. And his passion for Will is just so wholehearted. Given that we only see the world through Ollie's eyes, we don't get the whole of who Will is or how Will sees Ollie, but it's so obvious that Will wants to be with him, and he he really has to have this reckoning with himself um, and his world to, to allow himself to have that relationship. Um, this is a really feel-good queer romance, and I thought that the loss here was handled really, really well. The grief is explored thoughtfully, but never, ever at the expense of what readers come to the book for, which is love. Um, And I love that it's pitched as a queer grief because that's exactly what it is. Um, And that is Only Mostly Devastated by Sophie Gonzalez. Okay, those are our new books. What are you going to read next? Interesting you talked about a field hockey book to start the show because I am reading We Are the Wildcats by Siobhan Vivian, which is about a varsity girls field hockey team uh the night before their final season begins all right that was my school team you know i was talking about high school at the beginning of the show we were also the wildcats i was not on the the field hockey team or any team whatsoever i was gonna ask you were on the field hockey team like that i want to hear about that No. no no i was hiding in study hall under the table with a book always you were on the reading team yeah a uh, team of one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was the best. I was also the worst on the team mm-hmm. by default. Um, I am going to read, well, I am reading, almost finished, and most definitely talking about this on Backlist this week. It is Feast Your Eyes by Myla Goldberg, mm-hmm. which is a book that came out last year and did get nominated for some great awards, but I feel like mostly was skipped over. Uh, Myla Goldberg wrote Bee Season, mm-hmm. which was like a big, big novel when it came out many years ago. Uh, not such a great movie, but <laughs> a great novel. Um, and this one is so fantastic. I heard about it. I'm like 95% sure from Tom Beer on Twitter, who you should be following if you're not. He's really great, knows a lot about books, uh, as like a, an overlooked book of 2019. And he was right. It's about a, a young girl who, um, her mother is a photographer and it's, it's very scandalous, the photos that she takes. And later on, she's writing descriptions of these photos in the catalog for an exhibit of her mother's work. And it's so good. Uh, so I will definitely be talking about this on backlist this week. Spoiler. I meant that was, that was a spoiler, but that's okay. <laughs> um, you'll probably forget between now and then, but that's it. And I just want to say I love books. I think that you all know that. And I just get so excited sometimes when I realize that we're all here doing this because we love books and I have so many people in my life in which books are never a question. They're ne- It's never like, why do you need books? Or why do we read? Or, you know, no one's ever questioning why. It's just something that we have to do in order to live. And I just love that. It makes me all warm and fuzzy inside. And I appreciate everyone listening and, you know, talking about books and reading and 
sounds super cheesy, but I completely mean it. Uh, so I'm going to stop now before I get cheesier, uh, which is bad as a vegan. Um, but <laughs> that is it for today. Okay, I got Kelly. (laughs) So thank you to our sponsors. Uh, You can drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com if you want to rave some more about books. You can find us online. We hang out on Instagram. Kelly is at heykellyjensen. I am friends and comes alive. And if you want to go to Apple Podcasts and give us a treat, you can leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books. Like I said, find out about all kinds of amazing books that come out, not just the ones we talk about today. Uh, And you can also find a link to our weekly new books newsletter in which you learn about lots of amazing books that come out today, not just the ones we talk about. Um, Just books everywhere coming out our ears. Mm -hmm. We love books. Uh, So that is it for today. And in the meantime, happy Happy reading. reading.